0: Praise God for those ministries. Leo, I, I know where you're at there. You are a hero. I like your shirt. And um, I used to struggle with self righteousness and then I realized that I really am more righteous than everybody else, so I don't struggle with it anymore. <laughs> I was kidding. All right, don't worry about like it goes into this deep intercessory prayer. <clears throat> uh, one other announcement and that is this. It's an important one. Um, we're going to be having these prayer, uh, praise, and healing services on Sunday nights. Uh, we'll have worship there and a time for prayer, and then we'll have healing, and we're just trusting God and do some great things uh, during that time. And once a month, we're going to take that prayer and praise and healing service and make it into the Heart of the Cities uh, worship service. Uh, this next Tonight is uh, going to be the first of our fall series of the Heart of the Cities coming here. Heart of the Cities is a ministry about uniting the church, tearing down walls of denominational division and racial division and socioeconomic division and gender division and every other kind of division you can think of, and uniting the church in Jesus' name. Amen? And it's a powerful thing. God loves unity as an end in and of itself. It just is the case. You can't read John 17 and not come away with that conclusion. And so when the people of God just to get together to praise God as the one body that we in fact are, God shows up. And I'm telling you, it's a powerful, powerful celebratory, transforming time. So I encourage all of you, uh, if it's at all possible, to be here tonight at 6 o'clock. We're honored to host this. In fact, Dan and Sandy are part of our church. I don't know if they're here this morning. Are you here this morning? Uh, God, I love their hearts. I just love their hearts. And, and God's using them in some powerful ways. Praise God. Let's look at a couple of passages here. <clears throat> By the way, I feel like I want to say this before I get into the message, and and, and that is this. Some of you maybe are thinking that we're nuts. so for singing that we're safe in the arms of Jesus, uh, 10, 11 days after we just saw 5,000, 6,000 people, some of whom were Christians, I'm sure, uh, get killed in this attack. But, but see, here's the thing. I right now feel totally safe in the arms of Jesus, and I know that I might get killed on the way home. All right, I know that. But you know what? The reason I'm safe is because if I get killed on the, way, on, the way, on the way home, I get killed on the way home, it doesn't touch the most important thing about my life, you see. I'm safe in the arms of Jesus, amen? Paul says this. That's what we're singing about. There's a, there's a sense of safe from, from any ultimate harm, from any alarm. And there's protection in this world. We pray for that. But the thing we're mainly focusing in on is the fact that that, uh, that which is eternal, that which is eternal, that which perma- is permanent, that which never ends, is secure in our life. Paul says, in Romans 8, that neither height, nor death nor principality, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor famine, nor pearl, nor sword. Not death itself can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing can come that will separate us from the love of Christ. Well, those things can come. They can come. Paul is assuming that that stuff can happen to us. But it can't separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. We are safe. Okay, I've got to get to what I'm going to preach on here. Matthew 16. A couple verses I just want you to store in your head, and then we'll, we'll be going through it. Uh, We're talking about the church uh, again this morning. And this is Jesus' first word about the church. We've looked at it before. We'll be looking at it again. This is the Magna Carta, if you will, the charter of what the church is supposed to be. I tell you, you are Peter, which means little rock. And on this rock, the word there in Greek means boulder, big rock. I will build my church. It's on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Lord builds the church. Greg doesn't build it. The Baptist General Conference doesn't build it. The Episcopalians don't build it. Bill Hybels doesn't build it. Jesus Christ will build His church. And when Jesus Christ builds His church and not people, then He gives us this promise. First thing you've got to know about this church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The, the, the trademark of the church, the, the defining aspect of the church is that the walls of hell will not be able to withstand it. First thing you got to know about this church is that it will be a hell-raising church. Amen. It'll be a wall-tearing-down church. It will be a kingdom-expanding church, expanding the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. And then he tells us how we're going to do that. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. All right? You're going to be a, be a binding church. You're going to be a loosing church. Praise God. And in doing all that you're going to be storming the gates of hell. That's the, the the essence of what the church is. Look at this other verse here. We'll we'll be coming back to these in a second. First Timothy two, five. There is also one mediator between God and human humankind, and that is Christ Jesus. There's one mediator. Everyone say one. Are there two? No, are there three? No, there's one mediator. His name is Jesus Christ. You'll see why that's important here in a little bit. In Hebrews chapter four. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness. With boldness, confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. need a couple dozen people over here who will be doing intercession throughout the message and the rest of the worship service. Raise your hand if you'll be a prayer warrior. A couple more, a couple more. Come on, come on, come on. I need some people. All right, cover, cover me in prayer. In the middle here, a couple dozen people. All right, gotcha. Over here, a couple dozen people. couple more, a couple more. Okay, gotcha. You can listen to what's going on, but be interceding, because he, what we know is this. The devil hates truth, right? He hates it. He hates worship. And, and so whatever uh, he could possibly do to distract us or dissuade us or to block us from receiving what needs to be received, he would do it. We need to cover this whole thing in prayer. Praise God. So be, be intercessors for the rest of this service. Let's pray. Father, uh, we look to You, completely look to You, totally and utterly rely upon You to do what only You can do here this morning, God, in changing Your people, in leading us into passionate uh, praise and the application of the Word of God that You might be glorified in this hour and then in our life when we leave here. Lord, we uh, share in Your righteous indignation towards the enemy and all that the enemy does. And so, God, we pray that You would uh, here just make us radical, radical, sold out, uh, military soldiers who are into just kicking the enemies behind and enjoying the process, Lord God, and knowing that we are equipped and motivated, Lord God, to do the work you've called us to do. But only you can do that. My speech isn't going to do it. No music's going to do it. So Holy Spirit, be sovereign here. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. We are in a very weird, peculiar time, aren't we? Very weird time this period of history is very strange very strange uh, you, you know there are not all moments of history are, are equal uh, there are moments and then there are moments and we are in a moment uh, certain moments certain times in history are, are, are historically defining moments uh, there are times in our own life individually and and times uh, in history in, in the, on a global scale where the, the ordinary conflicts between good and evil become uh, extraordinary. And the things that are normally sort of covert become extrovert. Uh, they come out of the closet. And I believe we're in one of those uh, kind of... The Bible has a special word for these, these kind of times. They're, they're, they're the kairos. They're the unique times. Uh, uh, moments in history that define what goes on afterwards. Uh, fork in the road kind of times. And it's very interesting. It's very peculiar. It's also, in some ways, very exciting. We are seeing good and evil coming out of the closet in ways that most of us ordinarily don't see. We have seen in the last 10, 11, 12 days, I guess it is now, uh, a dimension of evil that most of us in the Western world don't ever eyewitness. This this catastrophic, surrealistic, almost apocalyptic bombing of the World Trade Center. It's just uh, incredible. And... um, it's just you know blows your hair back when you see this kind of dimension of evil. And now this kind of evil goes on around the world uh, almost all the time, but we don't normally see it. And so it's, it's, evil has come out of the closet. But at the same time, you've got to know that God has come out of the closet, if I could put it that way. God has really taken the gloves off. And, and God hates sin, and God detests the kind of waste of life that we've seen here in the last two weeks but he's able, he's smart enough, he's wise enough to take it and somehow find a way to use it for his glory. And so what you're seeing here is as explicit as evil has become, goodness, God stuff has become a- explicit as well. It's just been amazing. The kind of unity, the kind of uh, uh, a prayer that we've seen going on in this culture. I mean, uh, 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 the mayor of New York, Giuliani or Giuliano, uh, had a conference. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, someone told me this. And some of them, they were, you were know, taking questions from the floor. And someone asked the question, what difference, you know, can, Mayor, can you tell us, what difference does prayer really make here? You know, when was the last time you heard that at a press conference? You know, can you tell us about the power of prayer? And of course, he didn't have a clue, but uh, you know, the, the fact that the question was being asked, Someone should send them some the tapes from the prayer series we did a couple of weeks ago. You know, uh, but it's just been amazing. I, we, we had this thing at the Metrodome. One of the things that God's doing in this, this uh, uh, catastrophe time is He's uniting the church. He's uniting the church, and it's a powerful thing, and it's an exciting thing. We had an incredible prayer meeting at the Metrodome last Sunday night. Uh, the church of God got together, and and uh and We just prayed. We just prayed. No personality stuff here, no doctrine stuff here, none of the stuff that normally divides us. Let's just do the one thing that we've got in common, and let's pray. And, and it was powerful. It was a powerful thing. I was honored to be a part of it. The last minute, I was supposed to go up and lead in revival, they said, make an altar call. So we made an altar call at a Christian prayer meeting, and there was like 100, 150 people who stood up and gave their heart to the Lord. It's just Praise God. Amen. We're in a strange time. It's a strange time on the way to the Metrodome. I'm going through the stations, you know, on, on the radio. I should have been in deep intercessory prayer. I know Peggy was, but I'm carnal, so I'm kind of looking for a good tune, you know. Uh, and uh, I found a song by Supertramp. I, I used to love that. Good good 70s band. I hate the name, but good songs, all right? And so I'm kind of rocking with it. And after they're done, uh, the announcer comes on and says, Hey, you guys, this is 104.1. Some of you listen to it. Don't look at me with those self-righteous eyes. Well, I, the pastor listens to Supertramp. Yeah. Well, the, the, the DJ comes on this rock station and says, Hey, I just got word we're having some kind of mega prayer meeting down at the Metrodome. Get your butts down there. Uh, we need some prayer for this nation. That's on 104.1. You know there's a God. I mean, uh, you know, so God's doing some incredible things. Here's 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 what I want to say about this, and it will lead into to my message in, in some way or other. I assure you. But see, here's the thing: when people look at America, they look at it, they see, especially outside countries, that look at it, um, and they, with justification, see a lot of crusty stuff. It's true. Uh, America has become identified with, with materialism and narcissism, self centeredness, oppression, uh, you know, just, just a lot of stuff, nasty stuff we've done in the past, some nasty stuff we do in the present. But see, at the core of what the nation was founded on uh, was, was this uh, liberty and justice for all. It's a principle that people need to be free and, and, and justice needs to be done. Now, even when, they, when we signed the Constitution, we weren't doing it. You know, it included white landowners who happened to be male, okay? So, so even then it wasn't applied universally. It took us about two centuries to work out the implications of it. But the essence of it was this principle of liberty and justice for all. And that was a cause. That was, that was a, a, it, was a, it was like a fight rally uh, that, that united the nation. No other nation at the time was saying this. The French were beginning to say it with the French Revolution and other quarters, but this nation was founded on this principle. Well, what happens is that the cause somehow got lost. We took it for granted. And when we take it for granted, we lost the spirit of things. And um, uh, so a lot of crusty stuff begins to accrue uh, to, to, to the nation. What I see happening here is this. Um, and I'm not here to preach Christian patriotism or, or uh, to, to preach uh, American patriotism primarily. I'm here to teach Christian patriotism. You'll see where I'm going with this. But because of this battle, the horror of the World Trade Center has fallen down. And, and, and because of some good leadership, I, I think the speech that the president gave the other night, I, I frankly didn't think this man was capable of this kind of a speech. He always struck me as kind of deadpan, a little bit stiff. But, man, he had some real words of wisdom the other night. And, uh, and, and he's rattling a, a nation together. And what's happening is that among the American people, uh, there's a, we're beginning to remember at least the foundational principle of why this nation uh, exists and the cause for why this nation exists. So people are beginning to act in, 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 very, in ways that are not typical for Americans. I mean, they're, they're, people are giving, people are sacrificing, people are doing whatever they can do for the cause. Had a Friday night, a bunch of uh, bands had this telethon, and singers and entertainers had this telethon, and all the, the, the nations, are, all the, the channels that tuned into it. And they raised all this money for the cause. And Barry Bonds, every home running is going to hit. Uh, he's going to give $10,000 to the cause. And the theaters this week are going to give 25% of their earnings to the cause. And all over the place, businesses, they're, they're, they're sacrificing, and they're chipping in, and they're, they're getting united for the sake of the cause. And it seems to me that what's happening is in the state of conflict Something of the essence of of what America was supposed to be has risen to the top. And a lot of the dross and a lot of the scum and a lot of the crusty stuff, therefore, has been put aside. Now, I thank God for that. Uh, You know, the the role of government is to administer justice, and and I think it's going to be done. But what I want to talk about is this. Something very parallel to that needs to desperately happen to the body of Christ. You see, the the, the church was not founded as a good deed-doer club, sort of a Christian version of the Boy Scouts. Uh, the church was founded with a cause, because, and the church was founded in a battle, amen? Jesus gave us what this cause was in Matthew chapter 16. Here's what you've got to know about the church. It's going to storm the gates of hell, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. That's the cause. That's the essence. That's the heartbeat of the church. You see, but what's happened to a large degree in the church in America anyways is that we've largely forgotten that. And so a lot of crusty stuff has been attached to the institutional church. A lot of, a lot of negative stuff. A, a lot of a carnal stuff. A lot of harmful stuff. A lot of stuff that Jesus would not for a second condone has been associated with the, the, the church. And, and even when it's at its best, people have forgotten why they go to church what it's about to be a Christian and all of that stuff. But this is the time. This is a kairos. This is a moment, church, where, where we need to rediscover our essence. We need to remember what it is that Jesus died for and what we are doing here as a church body, uh, what it is that we're to rally around, what the essence is. And my prayer is that in the light, in response to some of the catastrophes that are going on now, the church at large will catch a vision for what the church is to be. Amen? And as we catch a vision for what the church is to be, people are going to start stepping up, as they have across the nation, for a national cause. We need to start stepping up for the, for the, for the kingdom of God cause. Amen? Amen? And start getting involved in the battle. And start getting a vision for what God wants to do here. The church was always meant to be a tearing down wall kind of a church. It comes right out of Matthew 16. The church's essence is to be tearing down walls of sin. And to be a bridge between people and the righteousness that comes from God alone. Amen? The church is called to be tearing down walls of unbelief and to be a bridge to faith. And tearing down walls of apathy and to be a bridge connecting people with passionate life. And to be a tearing down walls of meaninglessness and connecting people with the purpose that God has for them in their life. Amen? Tearing down walls of hostility and being a bridge to peace. Tearing down walls of racism and being a bridge to people to unite in, in terms of races. Tearing down walls of denominationalism and being a bridge to the one church in the Twin Cities. Amen. Tearing down walls of individualism and being a bridge to community. Praise God. Tearing down walls of injustice and being a bridge to justice. Hallelujah. Tearing down every kind of wall that separates people from God and getting people to bridge to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. I'm on a roll here. <laughs> Tearing down walls of lies that are in people's mind and bridging people to the truth that's found in Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all lords and King of all kings and God of all gods. Hallelujah. Oh, you know what we need? What we need is, is, is you know, thank God for, for patriotism. And to the extent that America stands up for what is just, we need to stand up for what is just. But even more fundamentally, we need Christian patriotism. Where you know it's like people are singing, "I'm proud to be an American." We need to be singing, "I'm proud to be a Christian." I'm proud to be a Christian, and 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 standing up for that. I I, I broke into a spontaneous song last service. Uh, oh, this is really campy. But uh, I, you know, then someone, someone wrote the rest of the lyrics for me. You know, you know that kind of uh, it said that, that uh, convoy song. That people say. convoy. Oh, let's try it. I'm proud to be a Christian, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the one who died, who gave that right to me. I'll gladly stand up and testify. Defend this church today. There ain't no doubt I love this Lord. God bless His church today. Woo!
1: <laughs> Hallelujah!
0: And right now you ought to be really glad that Norm is the worship leader. Yeah. So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the church. We're talking about what, is, what are we doing here? What, what, what is this about? We're having this series here on the myths of the church, confronting misconceptions that people have about the church. first one we confronted several weeks ago was that the church is here to make your life a little bit nicer, a little bit sweeter, a little bit more religious. Uh-uh. If anything, the church is here to make you uncomfortable and, and to shake you up a little bit and, and to be in your face. Uh, the, the, the minute the church starts to be a, a consumer-pleasing institution, it really ought to shut down for the sake of the kingdom of God. You know, the church is here to offer people something that's more precious than life itself and a cause that's more important than life itself because we introduce people to the one who is life itself. And His name is Jesus Christ, praise God. The second and third myth that we addressed, and I started preaching on this two weeks ago, and I want to finish up the message here this morning, is this. The church is a building, myth number two, out of which employed religious professionals, those ones who have learned how to say God, right? Oh. Out of which religious professionals do uh, the work of ministry. Myth number two we've already talked about. The church is not a building. The church is not an institution. The church is a people. Praise God. The called out ones, those who name Christ as Lord, surrender their life to Christ as Lord, see Jesus Christ as their Lord, walk according to His ways, and on and on. It's not a building. Never mistake those two things. But let's talk about that third myth, the religious professionals. Here's the thing. It's a, it, there's been a tendency in paganism from the start. In, in In unregenerate hearts, there's just this incurable need to, number one, get fancy buildings to honor their gods, temples to honor their gods. And number two, to look at certain people who have got special gifts. Maybe they're a little bit charismatic. Maybe they're smart. Maybe they're whatever. They have an aura about them. And to place them on sort of a pedestal and uh, um, honor them as somehow closer to God and even look to them to mediate God's presence to you. It, it, it's, it's a feature of, of almost all world religions. What happened is that on the 3rd, 4th, especially into the 5th century, when Christianity became legalized and then it became the official religion of the Roman Empire, a lot of pagans joined the church. And you know what happened? The sure church starts looking pagan. We start pouring a whole lot of money into making churches look nice and fancy for our God. We start uh, dedicating them to God and, or, or to uh, uh, patron saints or whatever. And then with the clergy... We started elevating them uh, to the, the status of religious professionals, where they're going to do the religious stuff and the religious deeds and say the religious prayers and mediate the presence of God to us. Started happening there, and this carries on today even in Protestantism. Uh, one of the reasons why, Peggy, you'll cut me some slack here. I hope. Uh, well, I just I don't care for the title reverend. I know it's got a social role and whatever, and I'm not going to get legalistic about this or anything like that. Uh, but but I don't want people reverberating around me. You know. I, and, and what's happened is that this is a, there's this kind of connotation. You see, it's good, and it's right and godly. To thank God for whatever gifts He gives to the church, uh, to thank God for people who are obedient, to thank God for people using their gifts, to be thankful for leaders or whatever, that's fine. But what can happen is, when you start reverencing them in a way that you don't normally reverence people, it can start to cross over a boundary. Uh, where you know, God alone is, is worthy of religious reverence. Worship Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. What happens is we get this reverend idea. And again, I don't mean to slam all you pastors out there who use the title fine. Uh, I, I really am not trying to get legalistic. I'm just trying to make a point. Um, what happens is, is, is that we begin to revere them and, 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 and we look at their, their uh, uh, personalities and, and their gifts and people begin to oh, eulogize them. and We even get urban legends kind of surrounding some of these people about the wonderful things that God has done, and, and stories get told about them. And people start saying, Oh, I, I just, you know, when I'm in his presence or in her presence, I just feel something different and, and whatever. I had one person telling me that, that uh, for the first several weeks they started attending here, they saw colors all around me. Colors all around me. And you know, well, wonderful. What does it mean? I don't know. They're just colors. Uh, I'm glad I'm colorful. Maybe it was the background lights. I don't know. But, you see, my worry is that they start elevating these people, not just being thankful for the gifts that they have. Now, see, there's a role in the New Testament for leaders, yes. There's a role for pastors and teachers, yes. Uh, there's a role. They are the ones to communicate the vision of God. And very few are called to that office. There's a role for that. And they're held to a higher level of accountability. But what you've got to know here is this. I'm going to say two things about this. First of all, their, di- their gifts are different. But their status is not higher. Their gifts are different than those who follow them, but their status is not higher. Nowhere in the New Testament do you find the slightest suggestion that certain people are closer to God than other people, uh, that, that, that somehow they're the ones who have to mediate or be a channel of God's blessing in other people's lives, that somehow God listens to their prayers more than anybody else. What you find in the New, Te- the New Testament is a radical leveling of the playing field because there's the recognition that we are all sinners saved by grace. All sinners saved by grace. That's why the Bible says there is one, 1 Timothy chapter 2. There's one mediator, one goal between us and God, and that is Jesus Christ. There's one you go to, to mediate the presence of God, and He is God Himself, the Son of God. His name is Jesus Christ. Billy Graham isn't your mediator. Anne Graham Lotz, praise God, for the revival she had this week. Uh, God uses her, but she doesn't mediate the presence of God to you. She doesn't mediate salvation for you. She never died for you. Any other religious leader you might think of right now, thank God for whatever gifts they have and how God uses them. But you know what? Greg Boyd and Billy Graham or anybody else, they didn't die for you. Their blood wasn't shed for you. And even if it was, they couldn't reconcile you to God. The one mediator who reconciles you, who forgives you, who washes you clean, who makes you spotless, who makes you whole, who fills you with His Spirit, is the person of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. And there just is no room in the body of Christ for personality cults for people being wowed by, by, by somebody or other for what they can do or, or how God uses them. Our focus has got to be from beginning to end on the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why the commitment's got to be to be as invisible as possible in leadership to be as invisible as possible so people look through you to the person of Jesus Christ. And they hear past your words to the person of Jesus Christ. And they're transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why the, the Bible says all of us, Hebrews chapter 4, all of us, every one of us who are believers, can go boldly before the throne of grace. Now we're talking about the throne of God. We're talking about the Creator. We're talking about God, capital G. We're talking about, about the one who's the supreme being. We go to His throne. You go to His throne. You don't send somebody else up there. Like, you know, would you just you know do intercession for me? I'm I'm kind of afraid of, of of the big guy. You know. Uh, we're not that close, really. You know, would, would you just kind of be a mediator there? You know what? To all of us, it says go boldly. Boldly means with confidence. It's not like going up to Dorothy and the Lion and the Wizard of Oz. You know, like, oh, you know, who are you? I'm just the meek and mild Greg. Oh, Supreme Being, please don't squish me, please. No! You go boldly before the throne of grace, and you come right up to the, to the corner of it. You go to the same place Billy Graham goes to. Amen? And you know why? It's not because you're so good looking, and it's not because you're so nice and do such good religious deeds and have prayed enough and have sacrificed enough. It's because you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been freed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? And so you put on the garment of Jesus Christ, and now with confidence, because it's not based in you, it's based in the cross, you go to the throne of grace, and you talk to God. And child of God, I don't care if you became a believer last night or two minutes ago, or if you're going to become a believer at the end of this service, and I don't care what's going on in your past, I don't care how wretched it's been, how dirty it's been, how ugly it's been, how nasty it's been, how hurtful it's been, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, it's washed clean, it's forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And your confidence is that what God does for you is sufficient. It is sufficient. So you go with confidence in Christ before the throne of grace. Praise God. Praise God. When you talk to God, God listens as much as He does with anybody else. I don't want anybody anymore calling me up at 5 in the morning saying, will you pray for my headache? You know, because your prayer somehow has just got an anointing to it. You know, call Peggy for that one, okay? <laughs> She's like, that's how we hired a prayer pastor. So she. Uh, have someone to call at 5 in the morning. No, you know what? The thing is this. You know, God gives different gifts to people, but there's nothing, like, I don't see any glow here or anything. You, you can pray. Your prayer counts. You've got authority. You've got authority, especially at 5 in the morning. You know? And you want a bad worse than I do. So pray, intercede. Get your loved ones to, to pray for you. You've got the authority in Jesus' name. First thing is this. You've got to know that there's, no, there, there's different roles, different gifts in the body of Christ, but there's not a hierarchy in terms of relationship with God. We're all sinners saved by grace. We all go boldly before the throne of God. Second point here is this. The job of the, the, the pastors is not to do the, the ministry. The job of the pastors is to equip the others to do the work of ministry. It couldn't get any more explicit than it is in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. It says this, the gifts he gave, this is the Lord giving gifts to the church, we're, we're so, some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Why? To equip the saints. Agioi. This is everybody who names the name of Christ. Everyone who is declared holy because of Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be a saint. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body. The work, Who does the work of ministry? It is the saints. Who are the saints? Anyone who names the name of Christ. Who does the work of ministry? Anyone who names the name of Christ. What is the job of pastors? To equip, to motivate, to direct those who do the ministry to do it. You see? Now, we all, everybody, everybody, I'm talking about everybody, has a gift, a a role to play in the kingdom. You have a ministry. And it is much a ministry, and you are as much a minister as preaching is a ministry and as I am a minister. You're, the, the only ministers that Woodland Hills Church has are those saints who call this their local body. And the, the gift of, of we all do ministry, the only difference is that those who are in leadership, those who are pastors or teachers, called, their ministry is to minister to those who, who, who do the outside ministry or do other ministries. And so there's a role to play, the Bible has us, where you set them aside, the church pools their resources, we put our pennies together, and we free them up to do that full time, because it's good for the working of the kingdom for that to happen. But you got to know, this idea that we're, that some people get this, that you're sort of employing them to do the religious stuff that you don't have time to do. Nothing could be more pagan than that idea. All right? Uh, that is out of the pit of hell. I can't think of a better lie the enemy could tell us to negate 99% of the workforce of the kingdom of God. You see what I'm saying? So now we got 99% of the people in the pews sitting on their butts paying the people who are the religious professionals to do 1% of the workforce, doing all 99% of the work, and it just doesn't work well that way, and the devil knows it, which is why he told the lie. We've got to understand that all of us, all of us, all who name in the name of Christ are called to ministry, now, we've got to get rid of this idea, too. Sometimes people think that, oh, well, the ones who are up front, you know, the Greg Boyds and the Norm Blackmans and others who are up front, who talk to the large crowd, they're, okay, technically we're all ministers, but they're the real ministers. No! You see, we we, we just got to get, get out of carnal thinking and get, get into spiritual thinking. You know, people tend to put more emphasis on on the ones who are more apparent and the ones that are more visible and the ones who who talk to the larger crowds. But God does not. God regards a ministry as a ministry. And and if it's sweeping a broom, it's as much a ministry as preaching. And someone's got to do it. If anything, the Bible tends to put more emphasis on those ministries that aren't apparent, that aren't wowing people, that aren't always noticed, that don't get recognition. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at this. He he says, uh, the members of the body that seem to be weaker, he's talking about our physical bodies here, drawing an analogy to the church. The members of the body that seem to be weaker, or the word can be inferior or less impressive, are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with the greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Now, here's what what he's saying here. Uh, It's like this. You know, I, I'm up here, and, 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 and you're probably thinking, Greg, you got a nice face. Thank you. I appreciate you liking my face. But I probably wouldn't say, you know, hey, but you should check out my kidneys. Oh, i got really good kidneys. You know, they are just so cute. i got the cutest intestines in the whole world, and my bladder rocks, you know. There's a quote to put in the paper. Pastor says his bladder rocks. Must be gallstones he's talking about. No, you know, okay, look at. It. here's the thing. Your organs are ugly. I don't want to see your organs, you don't want to see mine. That's why God gave us skin. Thank God for skin, you know. We'd all look pretty ugly without our skin. I think you'd agree with that. Uh, you know, so, but here's the thing. Just because my, 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 my kidneys aren't impressive and they're not public does not mean that they're not important. In fact, they're all the more important. My face couldn't do diddly squat if my kidneys weren't working. You take my liver out of action, and no one's going to think I'm cute. I mean, uh, those are absolutely indispensable things in just the same way, in just the same way. Uh, we got to thank God, and we got to thank the people who push brooms around here and keep the place clean. That's a ministry. Amen. Amen. And all over the place, there are people who who give her their time and their resources to make the thing happen. Somebody folds the bulletin. we got people who hand out the bulletin, people who take up their offering, greeters who make people feel welcome. Thank God for the people who are over there right now with our children. Thank God for the people that are over there with the youth. Thank God for the people who set up this outfit right here. Thank God for the people who are going to be tearing them down. Thank God for the people who move the chairs every Sunday morning. Thank God for the people who wash the tables every Sunday. Thank God for the ones that none of us ever see. People who walk around every chair that in this auditorium has been prayed for before the service. You know that? Thank God for those people. You don't know who they are. You probably never will know who they are. They're the kidneys of the body of Christ. But without them, the thing wouldn't operate at all. Amen. Amen. And so it is, we've got to know this. Don't follow the way of the world and think that, that the, the, the ministry that seems to have the more impact is more important in the kingdom of God than anything else. All of us are called to minister. Most of that ministry is inside the skin. Most of it is not in leadership positions. Most of it is is the stuff that that the world would judge as being tedious, but you're no less of a minister. You're no less of a kingdom worker because that is what you're called to. And my charge this morning is this. I want every person in this congregation, especially those who are here, who, 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 who uh, uh, have identified Woodland Hills Church as being their spiritual body, and if you're visiting here, praise God, we love you for being here, apply this to your own church. I want to challenge you to really own up to the fact that you are a minister and ministry hangs upon what you do with that. The Bible says this, don't just be a hearer of the Word, James chapter 1. Don't just be a hearer of the Word, like people who are deceived, but be a doer of the Word. God calls us to be doers, to be involved in stuff. Why? Because we're ministers. All of us are. The high, people who just hear the word, they deceive themselves. And here's how. I, I, I'm not going to ask this. I really feel like asking this, but I'm not. But I wonder how many people here have exercise equipment that they haven't used in the last year. That's sitting down in the basement. You know, I, I know. I've got some. Uh, you know, um, and, and we, we know there's people people who are out of shape they feel more in shape cuz they bought the exercise equipment. I'm really getting healthy. You know, somehow you know you're going to have those abs just by buying that that thing from you know, Body by Jake or whatever it's called. You know, you feel this I can feel the ripples right now. Yeah. <laughs> those are the kind of ripples that you're supposed to be feeling. Yeah. You know, see, here's the thing, you're deceiving yourself. Um you know, don't just be a buyer of exercise equipment. Be a user of exercise equipment. And that will begin to do you some good. You're deceiving yourself. It's easy to feel healthier just because you have it. So awesome. It's easy, it's easy to feel like you're actually growing when you're not just because you go to a service once in a while or just because you get more information in your head. It's good that you've got information. And it's good that you go to church. But you know what? Don't just be a hearer of the Word. Be a doer of the Word. Start applying it to your life. You're a minister. That means there's a ministry that hangs upon what you do. Here's an analogy I thought of. My wife actually suggested to me the other night. We were talking about this message. I I teach at Bethel College. I teach courses. And once in a while, we've got people who take the courses courses just as an audit. They audit the course. They don't pay the full price for it. They don't do all the work for it. Uh, You know, they just attend when it's convenient, and they get some stuff out of it. And that's fine. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. But see, they don't get as much out of the course as the people who actually uh, become a part of it and do the labor of the course. They don't experience the transforming power, and, and, and uh, it's just they get maybe one-tenth, if that, out of the course, as the people get who really work at it, who actually get graded, who've got something to gain and something to lose by it. You can audit courses, but do not audit your Christianity. Do not audit church. Do not audit your faith. There are people all over the place, especially in America, where you're just along for the ride. You like the nice music once in a while. You know, and once in a while you get a little piece of wisdom that kind of lands, right? And it makes you feel good and it makes you feel religious and you're fulfilling a religious duty. Don't audit Christianity. Don't audit your faith. God is calling you not just to be an auditor of the Word of God, but to be an applier of the Word of God. And that means getting involved in the war. Amen. Getting involved in the ministry. Stand up and be counted. There's a part of you, you see, what you've got to know is this. When we don't do that, when we just audit things, the church hurts because of that, because there's real ministries that need to be done that aren't getting done because the Lord's calling on you to do them. But even worse than that, you're losing. You're losing because you're missing out on the joy and the power and the peace that comes from being a participant, not just a, a bystander and a spectator, but by being a participant in the things of God. There's such a feeling when, when you're a part of something and God's moving. You know, it, it, When you've invested in it, now now you, you have kind of some ownership there, and it comes back on you. And it's such a feeling of joy when you, when, when, when you see God moving, and you've been a part of that. However big or small it may have been, you've been a part of that. If you just audit church, you're missing out on that whole thing. There's a guy I, I saw on the news this Last week, who, who was saying, uh, right from Minnesota here, he said he's a firefighter when he saw this catastrophe happening in New York. He said, I, I had to do something. I had to do something. I, I, I couldn't sit there and watch this. So he got in his car and he just drove to New York. He said, I didn't know what I was going to do. But if all else it was was standing in line passing a bucket all day long, at least I'm doing something. I got to do something. You see, there's something in the human heart that wants to, when we get a vision, when we get a picture, it uh, wants to be part of a cause. We're made to have purpose. When we don't have a cause bigger than ourselves, our lives are utterly meaningless now and in eternity. Make your life count. Get a vision for the war that's going on. And start driving to New York. You maybe don't know what you're going to do. Maybe you don't know exactly what God's caused you to do. It doesn't matter. Start driving. Do something. There's plenty of stuff to do. Get involved in the thing. Start looking around. You don't have to. People sometimes overthink this thing. They wait for some kind of supernatural call. I've been waiting on God 23 years to tell me what He wants me to do. You know what? Pick up a broom. That's fine. Start doing the kidney stuff or the liver stuff or the thyroid stuff. There's stuff that needs to be done. But be involved in, in, in the kingdom of God. Be a participant in this. Getting involved in the whole thing. And then you begin to find out what it is that God's really up to. You know, here's, here's the thing. Last, last last word. Last word. And someone tell the children's church we're going to go over five minutes. Because so I'm not going to let you cut out those last two songs again. Hey, here, here, here's what I I'm going to tell you what I know. This is what's on my heart. Okay? I'm just going to share my heart with you. Um, you see, I, I would hate to be Osama bin Laden right now, um, or anytime really, but right now in particular. Because, see, I, he, it's kind of like Satan in a way. Um, this whole thing's going to backfire in a very terrible way on him. It was like one of the dumbest things a terrorist could have possibly done. And now we're flushing them all out. And the enemy does that too. He's got to know by now that everything he does for evil, God uses for the good. But they keep on doing it. Fine. Um, but, but see, here's the thing. He's got America ticked off. And on this one, we're united. I mean, the other day, I forget who it was, who, who said, you know, at this point there are no Republicans and Democrats. Man, uh, I never thought I'd hear that. And, and, and when that wall comes down, you, you know we mean business. And not only that, but around the world, there's a unity there, and people are, are standing up to be counted. When people are in unity with a vision and a passion and are willing to sacrifice for it, you can't stop them. A kingdom that's united can't, can't be, be stood up against. A kingdom that's divided can't stand. Well, see, when the church, here's what I know, when the church gets united and everybody starts playing their part and getting involved in the thing, um, uh, there's, there's, there is no limit to what God can do. No limit to what God can do. No limit to what God can do, Amen. There's a limit that we might put on Him by our unwillingness to be used by Him, but there's no limit to what God can do if we open up our lives. And what I know is this: what we've seen so far, folks, God is just getting warmed up. I really, I know this. I have got such a confidence about this. God's just starting to get warmed up. Uh, you know, he, He's running His His warm-up lap right now. But what I know is this: we are going to see in the months and the years to come. Uh, we all keep persevering on this. Uh, we're going to see hundreds and thousands of people coming to the Lord Jesus Christ from every walk of life. It's going to blow us away. Amen. We've already seen close to 500 people. I mean, it's just going to blow our socks off. And Peggy, you got to know that we're going to be seeing, there are going to be some incredible testimonies of deliverance and healing coming out of this Sunday night service, praise God. It's going to be incredible. We're going to have testimonies of people, by the hundreds and thousands who are being set free through the counseling center that we're going to have, praise God. I just see that. I know that for sure. And we are going to see, I know this, this is in my heart, I don't know exactly when or how long it's going to take, but we're going to see racial reconciliation going on in this place. Place. like none of us have ever dreamed, praise God. I mean, the diversity and the beauty of the body of Christ is going to be manifested, And, and, and uh, in short order here, we're going to see this. We're going to have a youth center. It's going to be the biggest youth center in the Twin Cities. And when God is going to use that youth center to get hundreds and thousands of kids on a regular basis off the street, off of drugs, into the, into the church, saved, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's some cynics sitting here saying, oh, that's not going to happen. That's just pep rally talk. You know what? Those same kind of voices were there eight years ago saying they'll never get a building. They'll never, you know, well, here we are. Sorry. And it's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. You know, we don't have a lot going for us, but we've got one thing for us going for us, and that's that we're willing to do anything that the Lord tells us to do. And when you got that formula, they can't really go, long, go wrong. Praise God. The only question here is this. Will you be a part of it? Will the joy and the reward of this come back on you? Praise God. Will you be invested? Be a minister for Jesus Christ. And now, right now, I don't know about you. I feel I gotta worship. I gotta worship. Come on, up, you guys, we gotta worship. I'm gonna pop if I don't worship, and that wouldn't be pretty because now you'd see my. Uh, worship is about ascribing to God with all that is within us, with all the passion that 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 He's it, due, uh, uh, the, the worth that, uh, that that He is. Praise God, and we're gonna go until we stop. It's a profound statement. Uh, and and, and, and uh, uh, just set that aside and let's just worship God. He, he, we'll, we'll start by taking up an offering because that's a way of worshiping God, not just with our voice, but with our life. Here's, here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 if the would come forward. Listen to this. Listen to this. This, this blew me away when, I, when I, I got hold of it this week. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the church of Macedonia. This is God's grace. For their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. God's grace is evidenced in them because of the generosity that's on their their part. For, as I can testify, Paul says, they voluntarily gave according to their means, and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry. Whoa! This is wild! We Americans, let's be honest here. You know, offering is not our favorite part of the service. I've, no one's ever begged me to take up an offering. It's never happened. Maybe someday I will, but I'm not expecting it today. But you know, it's kind of like this. You know, we—it's we, we, like, oh Lord, okay, here's my duty. I, oh Lord, behold the sacrifice I give to Thee. It hurts like the Dickens, but I'll do it. But see. If we could see it straight and take off our American spectacles and put us the biblical spectacles, you know, we'd be saying, What a privilege. What a privilege. We get to participate in the ministry. We get to be used of God to do what God's doing here, praise God. We get to be a part of something that really is meaningful. Our life life gets to count. If we really could see it straight, we'd be saying, Come on, will you let us We just let us participate in, 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 in this ministry? And I'd probably say, Yeah, okay, I guess I will <laughs> you know. We need to see this as an opportunity we have to worship God, and this is how the kingdom of God goes forth. We pool our resources. We put it all together. Praise God. We, 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 like The people in New York just do our part to see God move and to see the kingdom built. So, Father, as we now worship you, let your spirit fall here. Let your joy fall here. Let your healing fall here, Lord God. Have your way in this place. Have your way in this place. Cause us, draw us in to full and passionate worship of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.